How are you doing today? I was told to make sure you check on a Packers fan today, so how are you doing, Deontay? No? You good? At least you and Kyle can form a support group. Figure out. Hey, all I know is even if the Chiefs lose today, they were in the playoffs a day longer than the Packers, so you guys can get a hold of TC and figure out how he copes with all the Cowboys losing all the time, for all them Cowboys fans out there. Um, I want to welcome you guys to the Crossings Church. I'm, I'm, I'm glad and excited that you guys are here. Um, we uh, have been kind of all over the place to start this year off with different sermons and, and different topics. And, and the beginning of the year, so it's kind of a, a crazy start here at the Crossings Church. Uh, last week, a lot of our high school and college students were out from a refocus retreat. Um, at, we call it family vacation. And we tend to usually go either to uh, the Lake of the Ozarks or down to Florida. But there was a crazy snowstorm that uh, didn't really happen uh, last weekend that we were preparing for, so we canceled the trip. And the only reason I'm saying this, I, I usually don't talk about past events, but I thought it was cool to note for you guys that um, know that we were gone, normally most churches would probably just cancel that retreat. But we have a church in uh, O'Fallon, Missouri, that is quite large, and they decided to continue the retreat this weekend and what they did was, as soon as they decided to cancel the Ozarks, they contacted the members of their church and said, listen, adults, uh, we want to put this on still, but we don't have any uh, hotels locked up. We don't have necessarily anyone to cook all this food. And so we were, they essentially were calling on the church to help make this retreat happen still. And within minutes, dozens of families were saying, we can host five college boys. We can host you know, eight college girls. We have, we have these rooms. We have these rooms. We had more people reach out than were needed to say we can house as many as possible. And it was such a cool experience for all of our college and high school students to be able to go out to Missouri and stay in houses of men and women that were committed to God in that church and get to build those relationships. And then we had other men and women saying, we'll show up all weekend to help cook this food. We'll show up all weekend to serve this food, to clean up afterwards so you guys continue to go to your classes and lessons. And the reason I'm saying this is because I want you guys to understand, even with what Wes was talking about in his opening today, that you're a part of a church that is very relational if you're visiting with us. And we want to make sure that we, 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 we get that out there, that people understand that this isn't just a church that you're going to show up on a Sunday. And if this is maybe your first time here and this is your first time showing up, uh, that's great. But you're going to find out very quickly that we go beyond the Sunday morning in our church. And we believe that that's exactly what the Acts Church did as well. And this will probably be the last time that you see this graphic on the screen. Um, because this graphic, I'm finishing up a sermon today that I started two weeks ago on continuing a resolution. And the reason I, I brought all that stuff up about family vacation was because it, it reminded me a lot of maybe what happened in the first century in the book of Acts. So you, you see, the, the whole last year we went through this book of Acts and we talked about the story being continued and saying that, you know, this wasn't just a story, this was history. And this wasn't just history, this was, this was meant to be written down as a message to be delivered to us so that we could continue that story today. And so what we do here at the Crossings Church and what we spent the whole last year on was looking and diving into the book of Acts, diving into the history of the Acts of the Apostles and the, and the first century church and saying, man, what were they doing that we aren't? What, what, what made them so explosive that, that the culture of the churches in America are not adopting to? And what do we need to reevaluate in our church to say, man, we are on the same page, the same heart, the same conviction level that these men and women were, that we can, that we can explode as well. 
And so it was a great year. You know, there's a lot of challenges that we kind of walked through in the book of Acts this last year. Um, And so I started a sermon series two weeks ago on continuing that resolution to not just leave this story as is because we have a new church name. And you guys probably see it on the front of your bulletins or on the uh, the front of those, uh, those handouts that you were given today. It's called Remember. And next week, we're going to start jumping through some things that are going to help us keep that theme in mind as we start a new theme. But I don't ever want to forget what we walked through last year. Because there should be some resolutions. Yeah, there it is. And that's the graphic that we're going to be walking through this next year. And just remembering Jesus and everything that we do. And, and as we walk through this next year, there's going to be a lot of remembering of, of keeping Jesus in the back burners of his motivation for our motivation. But I don't ever want us to forget or neglect to being continued because that is a huge piece. Because the first century did what they did in the book of Acts. They, the whole reason we did last year's sermon series was because those men and women remembered what Jesus did. And so I want us to continue this resolution and finish out the sermon today, um, this part two, because I believe that there needs to be a resolve going into this next year. That if we're going to remember what Jesus did, it's going to be because there's a resolution that we choose to resolve in our lives on a day-to-day level to continue what happened with the men and women in the book of Acts. And if you were here two weeks ago, you know, just, just very briefly, we talked about Four points, and one of them was, I will submit to the, to the Jesus of the Acts, right? Not our own image or not our own mind of who Jesus was, but to the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of Acts and, and his character, not the character that we, that we bring up ourselves. I also talked about that I'll surrender my life to Christ's purpose, and we talked about not wanting our own goals and desires and our needs, but we died underneath that water, and now that we are surrendering to that, it's Christ's purpose now that we live for, not our own. We, we talked about contributing to godly fellowship, Right? And how much time we spend with one another, men and women in the church. And we just get together to have fellowship with one another because we love one another and we support one another. And it's not just that we show up on Sundays, but we actually walk through this life together. We get into God's word together because we have this thing in common together. And then we talked about championing a mighty God and how we talk about him and how, how, we, how we lift him up in our lives and how we, how we set him up as a champion because he's already won and, and we are using him as we blaze through life, knowing that he is the champion and that we are excited and that we are proud and that we are living in a life in a way that knows that he's already won. So today we're going to jump in and we're essentially just going to continue that because there's a couple more points that I didn't want to have us sit here for two hours two weeks ago to walk through and, and see some, a couple more things that we can, we can learn from the book of Acts if we're going to have this resolve If we're going to continue to have this impact, there's some things that we still need to continue to resolve beyond those four points. And so I'm just going to jump on in. And the first point today that I want to start with is that I will choose to be a responsible disciple. I will choose to be a responsible disciple. You see, there was a a situation that happened very quickly in the book of Acts because as these conversions were happening, as this explosiveness had, had happened that we had talked about, there started to arise holes. Um, you, I mean, you, it's just basic science, right? Anytime you start to stretch something, anytime something starts to grow, whether you're putting air in a balloon or you're stretching a rubber band, it, it, the, the particles are stretching out and there are gaps that are becoming created. And if you don't fill those gaps with, with matter and they start to loosen up more and more, they will either break or pop because there's not enough matter to fill those gaps and those holes. And in the first century church, That's kind of what was happening with the growth exponentially with how many people were showing up in here. 
And you see that in Acts 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, in those days when the number of disciples were, was increasing, and think about that balloon or that rubber band, right? It's just getting strong. It's stretched further and further. It says, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. You see, there was a growth happening, just like a balloon or rubber band, right? And God's intention is never to have a balloon just stop filling up with air. His intention is never to have a church hit a maximum capacity and then it's just stunted and said, well, that's as much as it can hold, so let's just keep that balloon, let's just keep that church at that number or at that amount of air. God's, God's vision has always been to grow, to seek and save the lost. That's the whole reason Jesus came. And that doesn't, that's not limited to how many chairs a church can hold. That's why our church here at The Crossing is so passionate about church planning is because we don't want to ever build just some giant mega church and just keep filling it up until it's finally full and be like, all right, well, here's our capacity. Once we get to a certain point here at The Crossing Church, we want to set up a plan to plant another church so that way more gaps can be filled. And that leaves more space for more people to have more accommodations here with what's going on here, but also it creates a new opportunity for somebody to start another balloon in a different city, in a different town, to fill up a capacity. And what's happening in this first century is this balloon has gotten to kind of a point in, in the church that it's either going to stop putting air into it or somebody needs to come in and help fill that gap to be able to create more opportunity for air to show up. See, this, this church had gotten to a point that was like, listen, if we don't change something, we're going to be biting off more than we can chew, and people are going to get lost because of that. People aren't going to get what they need because of that. And so what happens is, is they choose to appoint more people to handle more responsibility. And that's our first point, is that you will have to choose to be a responsible disciple because any responsibility requires somebody to be responsible. That's why it's called a responsibility. Whenever you're chosen to take on or you're appointed to take on a responsibility, there has got to be a sense that you are responsible to take it on. Nobody in their right mind wants to give a responsibility to somebody who's not responsible, right? It just doesn't make sense. Hey, I know that you tend to, you know, not want to wake up on time, so I think there could be a good responsibility to let you try to wake up on your own, you know, like my children. My children never wake up on time, right, for school. I got to wake them up. But I would never give them the responsibility to say, hey, you're in kindergarten, you're a grown child, you need to wake yourself up and get to school, okay? You know, you need to get in the car and, and be ready and then I'll set my alarm for when I need to get up and you set your alarm for when you need to get up because that just doesn't make sense, right? I wouldn't expect my kindergarten child to be like, I can take on this responsibility because I've proven to be responsible in this area. You know, it would never happen. Now in today's technology, sure, they can be like, hey Alexa, set an alarm for 7.45 in the morning. But that doesn't mean they're going to get up. That doesn't mean that they're going to change clothes. That doesn't mean they're going to brush their teeth or brush their hair. It just means that maybe their eyes are awake and they're in bed and they can roll over and put a pillow on it. That's still not showing a sign of responsibility, right? It just shows that they can set, a, set, a, set a, an alarm. And so my question is, as a, as a Christian, how are you doing at taking on the responsibility of being a disciple? 
You see, from chapter 1 through chapter 28 of the book of Acts, it reveals the church was built on the backs of responsible disciples. As you read through the whole book of Acts, it is the way that it is, is because the disciples took their responsibility of what they were entrusted to very seriously. Nowhere in this story does it indicate that the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, it doesn't indicate that the rest of the church wasn't functioning as a responsible church. But it indicates that there's now a need and somebody needs to be appointed. It also doesn't reveal that anyone was asked to take on this responsibility. See, they were appointed. They were drafted. And I think sometimes, church, if we're not careful, we, we can want to sit in the crowd, sit in the, in, in, the, in the auditorium, show up and be a part of the congregation, and we want to wait for there to be a hole in the church that we want to fill. But any other holes that show up as we grow, eh, I don't want to do that. That's not a responsibility I want to take on. I'm waiting for there to be a youth leader opening. I don't know why you'd want to wait for that. <laughs> These high school kids are crazy. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, or you say, you know, I just really want to fill a hole in the coffee ministry. I just, you know, I, I, just, I want to work in the, in the children's ministry. I want, I want to help. You know, I'm not, I'm not very good with people, so just put me, you know, put me somewhere like in the Levite ministry where I can just work by myself and not really have to talk to anybody. Well, if you ever work with Reggie Connolly, you, you know that's not true because Reggie doesn't know how to stop talking. Right? You know, Reggie will talk your ear off, right? And so no ministry, um, no ministry is a lack of relationship. But the question is that I think a lot of us need to ask today is, are you waiting to fill a hole in the church that you want to do? Or are you waiting for there to be a hole in the church that you can fill as soon as it's opened. See, there's a big difference in the attitude and the heart between the two of those questions. Are you looking for opportunities to fill holes? Or are you waiting to fill a specific hole that you think God has called you to? Because what you may not know, what, what these men and women may not have known, is that God doesn't just call people that are qualified for positions. God calls us all to be qualified to fill any position. And a lot of us, I think if we looked at our lives and looked at what we're doing here in this church, we might be challenged by the fact that maybe, maybe there are some more holes that you can fill. Maybe there are some more holes that, that God is calling you in this moment because these men and women were also not called to do this because of their ability. It wasn't because of their accolades. It wasn't because of their experience. They were called to do this because of their character, because of what they represented in Christ. And to be a disciple, there are no qualifications. There are no accolades that you have to have before you go underneath that water. The only qualification that God calls of us is to be willing and able to do whatever he asks. That needs no experience. That needs, that needs no qualification beforehand. No prerequisites there. Now, there are things that you will go along the way that you will learn and you will mature, and maybe there are are things that come more natural to some people, but the character of being willing cannot be taught. The character of sacrificing is not a training exercise. That's something that should happen when we go underneath the water. 
And so my question to you, church, and maybe you can put a little side point there, is am I being a responsible disciple? Am I looking for holes to fill? You see in Acts 6, 7, this isn't in your notes, but just a couple verses later, these holes were filled and it just continues. And it says in Acts 6, 7, it says, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. See, what it's saying is, is they saw a need, the hole was filled, the balloon started to grow again. And if we're not careful, I'm gonna tell you guys right now, just as a core member of this church here in, in Collinsville, we are getting very close to being at a point where our balloon is going to stop because we are growing exponentially. And we need more men and women to help fill those gaps and jump in those holes, have that balloon continue to grow. And it's not just a numerical thing. I want to make sure I make a point of that too because it can be totally fine to jump in a hole as, as just you know a body, but there is a maturity growth as well that needs to happen. Because we can have, we can have grunt workers for days, right? You know, think about how many, how many jobs just throw somebody in grunt work and they give them some cheap cash because it's like, I just need a body to lift something heavy. You know, no experience needed, no, no, no skill necessary, just somebody who's able and willing. We got a lot of able and willing Christians that can move some church chairs, right? We got a lot of experienced Christians that can show up on time to something, that can, that can get a job done but can you sit down with somebody and talk to them about their addiction? Can you be a loyal friend that can show up at any time of the day and talk through a problem? You see, there's a maturity side that goes along with not just being a body that shows up and says, I'll be a leader or I'll, I'll fill a hole, but there's also a maturity side that the responsible disciple will grow themselves and get into God's word themselves and say, I'm learning how to be a better disciple because of my relationship with God, and I'm learning how to help people because of my relationship with God, and I'm taking that side responsibly as well. So I'm not just willing to be a body to jump into a hole and say, I'm going to fill this. I'm willing to be a mature disciple that says, I can help you handle this. I can help teach this. I can help lead this. I can help support in this, and not just I can be present. And so maybe there's another follow-up question there is, is if, if you are being present, are you learning how to be mature as well? Because both are needed. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, Take the teachings that you heard me proclaim in the presence of many witnesses and entrust them to reliable people who will be able to teach others also. You see, Paul comes to Timothy and says, Listen, this isn't just your job. This isn't just your responsibility anymore. You can't carry all this yourself. Take what I've been teaching you and go entrust it to other people because they need to continue that legacy as well. And then look in the Old Testament. This isn't just the book of Acts. It's not just as the church grew. This was just, this was just a problem in general. Exodus 18. We're looking way back at Moses now, right? Moses took the place to judge the people. People were standing for him all day long, from morning to night. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is going on? Why are you doing all this and all by yourself? letting everybody line up before you from morning to night. Moses' father-in-law said, There's, this is no way to go about it. You will burn out, and the people right along with you. This is way too much for you. You can't do this alone. You see, guys, I want to express 
something that I thought was very vulnerable and personal to me, over the last couple of years, even the last, maybe this last year, this last month, I have felt very overwhelmed with random things in my life. And I felt very stressed with a lot of responsibilities that I've had to take on to the point where I felt like not doing ministry full time anymore. Where I've looked at my relationship with God and said, you know, am I, am I actually helping God's ministry by taking on all these responsibilities and, and all these different things? Or am I hurting my family in the middle of it? Am I doing so many legalistic, behind-the-desk kind of things for the church that my kids really aren't getting to see ministry in me. And I've struggled with that a little bit this last year to the point where I was like, am I carrying so much weight that I, I'm going to collapse? And I, I shared that thought with leaders, completely terrified to even bring it up because I was like, oh, now they're going to think I just want to quit and it's going to be like this big, serious thing. And I shared that in a couple different circles, whether I, I can't remember if it was our core or our staff meeting that we go with on Wednesdays. And I've, I've shared that before. And immediately people are like, yeah, me too. <laughs> like, it, it's such a relatable thing that I was like, wait a minute, other leaders think like this too? Like other people who've been entrusted in the church think the same way that I think that they're like, man, maybe, maybe I'm not called to do this full time. Maybe, maybe I'm not you know, capable to handle all this responsibility. And for me, at least, a weight was, was lifted in a certain way that be like, you know, I can relate to people that feel like they have a lot of weight as well. And that this isn't just a one-time problem. It wasn't just an Acts problem. It wasn't just a Moses problem. But it was a situation that was meant to be heard for the call to be answered. And I'll tell you guys right now, I, I'm not the only person in, in this church that's felt that way. I'm not the only Christian in general in the world that's ever felt that way. That, that you're, you need to understand, guys, today that your leaders feel a weight. And it's our responsibility to help carry that weight. And it doesn't matter what capacity or what maturity you are at within your church. As a disciple, when you choose to join, you know, the body of Christ and you put yourself into a church, it is your responsibility to help carry the load in some way. Because if you're not willing to carry the load, at some point you're going to finally understand that you are the load. And that's never healthy for a church that all the disciples are sitting up on the wagon with a couple leaders pushing it. God never called for it to look like that. Ezekiel 22.30, another situation. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for somebody to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. Stress and struggle for not finding anyone who's willing to jump in there and take that responsibility. As Isaiah 6.8 then I heard the voice of the Lord God. He said, is there anyone that I can send with my message? Just looking for people to take this responsibility seriously. Who will go on our behalf? I said, I am here, send me. Is that the attitude that you have today to have the resolve to be a disciple? God is looking for men and women to say, I am here, send me. I'll do it. Not, what is it? Well, how long will I have to do it? Well, what all does it entail? Those aren't the questions that indicate the heart. The card is, I'm, what do you need me to do? I'm here. Send me. See, Wes and I talked a little bit about this, but we are, we're, we're planning on setting up a vision for when we're going to plant a church ourselves as the Collinsville Church. Not, not O'Fallon's church, not Columbia's church, not Annabelle's church, but the Crossing Church itself. Our vision is mirrored and modeled by those visions of those churches that Within a few years, we want to have a vision that we are going to plant our own church. And we're going to need men and women to say, I want to go. I'm here. Send me. 
I want to fill a hole. I want to fill a gap. And I'm going to tell you right now that nobody's going to be capable to go on a church plant like that if they're not willing to say those questions right now. You see, to send out a healthy church, it's got to come from a healthy church, right? To send out capable, equipped leaders, it's going to mean that they are capable and equipped in their context now. Your context doesn't change the heart, but your heart should indicate in your context where you're really at. And I believe if we had a more of a church that would say, I'm here, send me, let me do it, let me do it, then we would have a church that would be incredibly healthy to send it to wherever we go next, wherever we plant next. And that's the vision of what God wants to do in our ministries. So, like I said, the question there is, is how, how willing are you to say, I am here, send me? Are you looking for those opportunities? Number two, I will be committed to making Christ's church diverse. I'll be committed to making Christ's church diverse. You see, if you grew up in this church, if you, if you have been, you know, raised as a child or, you know, brought in and this is your first exposure to church, this is a, this is a point that you would probably look at and say, well, that's not a problem. And when I look at our church here in the, in, in, in the crossings, whether it's, you know, one of our partner churches or it's here in Collinsville, I don't think we have an issue with this very hard. I don't think this is a struggle for the crossings and in a large scale. Because when you look around this church, I don't think some of you guys understand how lucky you have it to have a church like this. For some of you guys, this may be your first exposure to church. Maybe you joined and you were reached through somebody in the campus ministry or the high school ministry and you didn't really go to church growing up and this is your first exposure to church. And I don't know how... how I don't know how to express it to you that you are very fortunate to see what you see on a Sunday morning. You see, I grew up in a church that was all white. Um, I wasn't really like, I don't know, I guess a member of the church. My mom was, but it was just the context of the church. And it wasn't like they were trying to be all white. It wasn't like they put signs up or anything like that. But it was, it was what it was. As a minister now and as a leader, I have been to different conferences and I've actually networked a little bit with other churches and I've had an eye glance into other congregations and they tend to look the same color. They tend to look the same age. And I think for some of you guys, you have no clue how diverse this church actually is in comparison to churches in the world and how grateful you should be to see what you see on a Sunday morning right next to you. You see, in Matthew 28, we, we hear this all the time. It's the Great Commission. Jesus said to them, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all people everywhere and make them my disciples. See, I actually got to sit down this weekend with... Um, for you guys that were there this weekend, his name's Anthony Walker. Uh, he, he gave a lot of the lessons, and we've become pretty good friends, and, and we text a little bit here and there now. Um, and I actually got to talk with him this weekend. And, and, you know, I actually met Anthony Walker a couple years ago because 
he was actually trying to build a bridge because Anthony Walker goes to a predominantly black church, and he's a, he's a black preacher in his church, and right next down the road was a predominantly white church. And these, both, both these ministers got up on stage, and they talked about what they saw in their churches. And when they looked out at the crowds, they didn't see diversity. And these two churches have been working together to build a bridge to merge their churches, not, not necessarily merge like become one church, but to merge in the idea that they are one church and that they should be reaching as they are one church. And they've talked about these success stories as that, they're, that, they're, that their diversity has started to change a little bit. And when I heard them talking about this years ago, I'm sitting there being like, dude, this is common sense. And you guys got Bible degrees? <laughs> like, you guys, went to, you guys went to school for years and you're just figuring this stuff out? Man, you should come check out my church back in Collinsville. Like, it ain't, we would never even have to have a conversation like this, you know? And I'm just like, how, how, how do church leaders who've been born and bred and raised in churches and have these degrees and these theologies and, and these backgrounds, how are they missing this? You know? And it was incredibly cool to see him. And then when he, when he comes and talks at our conference this past weekend and he looks around and he sees the, the college age and, 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 and he sees the high schoolers. And then he comes and he sees our church, their church service on Sunday at, at the Crossings of Fallon. He sees how large it is and how diverse it is. I don't know how many times I've heard people say something like this about our churches. They say, man, you guys are a step ahead of us on where we're trying to go. And I say that to encourage you of what you have here. But I also say it to remind you of how fortunate you have it and the idea of diversity. You know, some people might take this point and challenge most other church, but I want to take this point and express that you should have some gratitude for what has been blessed in this church. But it's not just to be blessed by it, it's to continue it to have a resolve because it cannot just stay this way. Because if we're not careful, then we can go back to our natural tendencies to be comfortable to reach who we want to reach, to reach who we feel comfortable in reaching. But the reason that our church is the way that it is is because there were people on this church plant who broke through cultural boundaries, cultural barriers, and they went out of their comfort zones to talk to people if it I say this a lot. I came on this church plant with four black dudes. I was appointed the campus minister of Southern Illinois with four black guys, right? David, Reggie, Alameda, and J-Tone. None of them enrolled in, Reggie did. Reggie enrolled at SIUE, right? But think about that. This is Farmville, USA, right? We're in, we're in the Midwest. And we go to an SIUE school, and I'm like, how in the world are we supposed to? <laughs> I, sh- I showed Anthony Walker, I wish I, I wish I had this photo that I was able to give you to you guys. I showed him a photo of our first Christmas cross chat. And I said, dude, this is what I had. And I kid you not, I, w- I wish I could blow it up on the screen. Maybe, maybe I can, no, that's going to take me too long to search for it. Um, it was me and 15 black guys, <laughs> for real. And for you guys that were in that day, it, it was guys like Blaze, it was guys like Justin, it was guys, like literally there was a guy that was in the Bloods, right? He was in the gang. 
And David made some jokes about, you know, there were some gang signs. And, and Justin came up to me and was like, hey, man, I'm for real. You can't play like that. You can't play like that with me because I'm, I'm for real blood. <laughs> and David was like, I was, just play- <laughs> I was just trying to create conversation, just being funny. And it, it, was, it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. Um, and on the flip side, Katie was our campus minister counterpart, my wife. And she came over with a handful of white girls and Aaliyah. <laughs> right? So I'm like, our campus ministry to start, I mean, it looks diverse, right? We got black, we got white, but it was completely segregated <laughs> by our gender. But also, it was incredibly hard, I think, to start to reach cultural, cultural barriers between our campus ministry. But I'll tell you what, that first generation of campus ministry went to SIUE and they didn't see color. They went to SIUE and they saw souls that were lost and a call to take their responsibility seriously to say, God has called me onto this campus to seek and save anyone and everyone that's willing to have a conversation with me. And some of these conversations might be awkward. Some of these conversations I might put my foot in my mouth. We actually had people leave our church, leave the, the cross chats, leave because there was some cultural differences and some of our own members put their foots in their mouths and they didn't know how to, how to communicate well and they said something that they shouldn't have had and they, and they apologized but the damage was too deep and there was repentance and there was maturity and there was a learning process that went along with that but I'm so grateful that people didn't give up because some of you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. And this call to keep a church diverse is not just on the backs of a couple people that were willing to set a pace, but it has to continue. In Acts 2, verses 9 through 11, it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Can you think about that? If we had one representative from every nation in the world in this church today, How crazy would that be? How confusing would that be with all the languages, right? But look what God does here. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. Parathians and Medes and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria and Pamphylia, I'm going to mess all these words up, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Thracians and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I mess up a ton of those names, but what he's, well, all you need to know is that's a lot of different denominations, <laughs> or that's a lot of different nations. That's a lot of different backgrounds. That's a lot of different races. That's a lot of different nationalities. And somehow, in some way, they were cohesive with one another. You see, when God calls us to be diverse, there are going to be cultural barriers. There are going to be people that don't want to join a church because of cultural barriers. 
There are going to be people that don't want to be in relationship with other people inside of the same church because of cultural or racial barriers. And if you are one of those people, first and foremost, I would challenge you to evaluate your relationship with God. If you are unwilling to be relational and love somebody in this auditorium the same as somebody else in this auditorium because of their race or their cultural background, I would challenge you to ask yourself if you really are a disciple in the first place. That frustrates me more than anything when people want to choose to treat other people differently because of where they came from or the color of their skin or their background. I learned that one pretty quickly being a campus minister with four black guys because I didn't grow up in that world. And so I've grown to love my brothers in a way that I can't understand what they've been through, but I can fight for that and I can advocate for that. And those, you know, those guys are my closest friends. Those are my best friends in life now. But if God can bring men from every nation together, the question isn't so much about how can we get on the same cultural side because sometimes we never will. But the real question is, can we finally come to a peace to realize that it's not about the cultural similarities that we have, but it's that our similarity and our relationship with God is what brings us together. And that's what will keep us together. You know, when, when all the Ferguson fluorescent riots went out, you know, and that was a huge situation, a huge deal, there, there, was some, there were some things that came out within our churches with some cultural backgrounds and stuff like that. There were some issues that came out. And I'm not gonna plan on this for very long, um, and I talked to Anthony Walker about this stuff as well and how he was an advocate in that time and it was a hard time to keep the church together and this stuff. But I'll tell you what, I remember calling David, I don't know if he remembers this conversation or not, but I remember calling David, you know, and I said, can I help? You know, I was like, is there anything I should be doing? And I remember he said, Jake, this doesn't change a thing between us. And he may not remember that conversation, but I do. Because I think sometimes culture in the world, when things like this happen, want us to pick sides. And they want us to attack each other. But when you can have a depth with somebody that loves God just as much as you, and stuff like that happens, it doesn't change a thing. It honestly pulls people closer together. And I encourage you guys, the men and women in this church, to take that same model and take that same pattern like the first century did because it didn't just start right there in the first church because right here in the second church, the church in Antioch, the same thing happens in Acts 13. It says, the church in Antioch had grown strong with many, many prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, a dark man from Central Africa, Lucius from Cyrene, North Africa, Mayan, a member of Herod's governing council, and Saul. You see, it continued. It wasn't just a first century thing. It wasn't just a first church thing. It wasn't just the church plant in Collinsville kind of thing. It was meant to be something that was passed down to the next generation. And I encourage us church to take that same call to say, we are diverse and that's great, but if it's gonna stay diverse, it's because you are going to continue to make it diverse and not because some other people already started it for you. And so I wanna encourage you guys that this diversity happens because there is a repentance in how we viewed people in our past lives but also resolve to want to push forward with that moving forward. And in, in Acts 10.35, Peter said, Now I know for certain that God does not show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. It makes no difference of what race people belong to. 
If they show deep reverence for God, they are committed to doing what's right, and they are acceptable before him. Period. We ain't got to talk about backgrounds. We ain't got to talk about how it's made me feel. We ain't got to talk about those kind of things when it comes to loving God. God does not show favoritism. We will work through those things. We will talk through those things. We we, We will learn to love each other through those things. But none of those things change the way God loves you. And they never will. Maybe churches and human beings have distorted that over the years, but that's not the real character of God. But I also want to put a little piece on here that it's not just about race. I want to make sure that's clear too. Diversity isn't just the color. Diversity is an age. So maybe you are an older man or woman and you tend to only want to talk to coworkers that are your age. Maybe you are a younger high school student that only likes to talk to your peers. You see, diversity doesn't just involve the color of a skin. It involves who you are in your DNA as a disciple and, 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 the, and the sphere of influence God has given you in your context. So for you high school students, I guarantee you God is presenting you opportunities with men and women who are much older than you that need God just as much as you do. For, for our adults, I, I, I believe that God has put children in your life whether it's a high school student or a niece or a nephew or a college student that you can look at and say, God has put them in your life and your sphere of influence because you have an opportunity to show them what God has shown you. And that is a part of the diversity factor that's gonna continue not just with race, but with our church looking the way that it does. You see, we have black people, we have white people, we have babies, we have retired folks. We have socially successful people. Um, We have socially stunted people, you know. Um, We have people that are good public speakers. We have people that don't like to open their mouths. You know, like we have people in here that like sports. We have people in here that like board games. We have people in here that have a lot of money. We have people in here that don't have any money. You know, we, I can go on and on. But I know any of those things I just said, I can see at least one or two people raise their hand. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that always has that. I want my children, I said that in in the children's class today with the teachers, I said, I want my kids to have that. I can't wait until my daughters bring somebody home to hang out that's a different race than them. I can't wait until my children bring somebody home from school that's got a different social economic background than them. I can't wait for my children to go out to the world and have an opportunity with a coworker or somebody that they meet at a store that's, that's older than them or that's younger than them. I want my kids to reach in a diverse way, but the only way they're gonna do that is if they, say, if they see me reaching out in a diverse way and if they see our church reaching out in a diverse way. And I, don't, I, I, I probably talked way too long on this point, but I really wanna drive this point home, guys, that this church is only gonna stay the way that it looks if the people in this church continue to reach the way that it looks. And so if you can take a look around this room and say you're reaching and you're seeking and saving lost people that look like the people around this room, it will continue to look like this room. But if you look around this room and you say, you know, there's not a lot of people that I'm reaching out to that look like people in this room, then it's essentially just going to look only like that. You know, it, it's, just, it's just common sense. The next generation, what's it going to look like? Well, it's up to you guys. 
But I want to push us all to have that same kind of thought. Revelation 7, 9 says, I looked again. Here's the dude. He just looks around like you would have just looked around. I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there, all nations and tribes, all races and languages. And they were standing dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne of the Lamb. You see again imagery here that he looks around and he sees all these different things. But they were all the same, right? All these different races and languages and all these different things. But they were all in white robes, waving palm branches. That's the representation of the church today, guys. We are all different, but we come together because we're the same. And that should be our goal this next year and our resolve as a disciple. Number three, final point. I will continue to function in spite of persecution. I will continue to function in spite of persecution. You see, the book of Acts is pretty cool up until about Acts 3 or 4. (laughs) And then it starts to suck real bad for the disciples. You see, it's real cool to watch Jesus come back and spend this time with him. Be like, man, I'm the real deal. Like, I'm back. Like, let's sit down. Let's have some meals. Let's spend a couple, let's spend a month or so just talking about life and just, you know, I'm the son of God now. Like, it's the, it's, the, it's, and they're like, yeah, like, this, this is fun. And then he's like, I'm gone. And they're like, cool, cool, let's do this. And then they start it. And like, everybody's like, yes, yes, yes. I want to, like, I can't believe I'm convicted that we, we put that man on a cross and I want to I live my life for him. And, and then all this stuff happens. And it's very short-lived. Because very quickly, the world catches notice of what's actually happening. That it's becoming, it's becoming a push to change the culture. And there are people in the world that aren't about that. People in very high authority positions, the Roman Empire, that does not like what's going on. And so very quickly, this cool scene and this cool story and and, and the history that starts in the very, it it starts in Acts 4 and says, so now, Lord, listen to their threats. Man, there weren't no threats when Jesus was hanging out with us for 40 days. There wasn't any threats whenever people were baptizing us, so much to say. How did we get here so quickly? But here's what he says. He says, empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. In the midst of the persecution, as the book of Acts starts to unravel itself, as persecution starts to hit, as deaths start to happen because people are standing up for their faith, we see men and women of God asking for empowerment. Now, he didn't say, let's make it easy. Lord, make it easy on me. He didn't say, Lord, get rid of this stuff. He says, Lord, empower us. And I think that is a very challenging point to ask yourself in the midst of persecution. When you send your prayers to God in the midst of whatever hardships you're going through, what is the context of your prayer? Is it to help you? Is it to get you out of the storm? Is it to get you out of the persecution? 
or is it to strengthen you and mature you through the persecution? You see, I believe as Christians, the persecution is never going to go away. That's what Scripture says. The trials will come our way whether we like it or not. Persecution is in our midst. Jesus warns us of that before he, before he goes back up to heaven. And so it's almost kind of silly to, to ask God to not do what he has already promised is going to happen because we all know that God is a, is a God of his word and he does not break promises. And so for us to pray in that and, and only have that in our context, it does challenge where our heart's really at and our commitment to Christ. You see, I know Christians who have left the faith because a child has died. And they have said in a hospital time after time, God, please take this sickness away. Please take this cancer away. Please, please let my child live. Please, please, please. And have bade God for something like that. And when it didn't happen, well, there went their relationship with God. God doesn't answer prayers. Why would he do this to a child? I've seen that happen. I've seen men and women leave after a divorce. God, you're supposed to keep us together. I see men and women leave after their child has left God. God, I've stayed here and I've, I've put my whole life and work into this church and, and the least you could have done was save my kid. But he's out in the world now and I don't trust you anymore, so I'm gone too. You see, sometimes I think we pray not for help, but we pray with ultimatums. We pray and say, unless you do this, I will not be faithful to you anymore. And I think it's important for you to evaluate and reveal in your own heart, are you somebody who, who sends God ultimatums? Or are you somebody who asks God for empowerment through the storm? It will give you a huge indication on where you're at in your heart but also, really, the conviction that you have to work through the storms instead of running through the storms. See, in Acts 7, this is, for me, the story, the story of Stephen and how he was the first, you know, the first martyr. And it, it, was, it was one of the stories that just, I, I remember reading it the first time when I was in high school, and it has always stayed with me as how incredible it was for Stephen to do what he did. And in Acts 7.59, it says, As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. You see, Stephen didn't ask for the rocks to stop coming. Stephen didn't ask for the healing to, to happen. Stephen didn't ask for them to be killed because of what they did to him. Stephen didn't pray for the storm to stop. He prayed for Jesus, he prayed for Jesus to take him. He prayed for Jesus to be there with him. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words. He could have cursed them. He could have cussed them out. He could have made them, he his last words could have been something that lived with them for the rest of their lives. You know how people have talked about the last words they said to somebody and how it haunts them? because that was the last thing that came out of their mouths. I hate you. I don't ever want to see you again. And the, how those last words can impact somebody else's life forever. Maybe some of you guys have maybe related to that, and you have a fallout with somebody, or somebody's passed away, and the last things that they said to you were something that have really haunted you and second-guessed how you treated them in that time. 
Stephen was smart enough to not make one of those remarks. The last words he gave to people who killed him said, don't blame them for what they're doing to me. Then he died. And Saul was right there congratulating the killers. You see, with Saul, that sentence, Saul was right there congratulating the killers. There's no need to put that sentence into Scripture if you're just reading it like a storybook. If you're just reading it for documentation purposes. If you're just reading it for the history. To know Saul was there really isn't anything big unless you know the whole story of Saul. You see, I bet that there was more than just one guy. <laughs> Think about that, right? Put, your, put yourself in this picture, and Saul is being stoned to death, and this crowd is killing him. I guarantee you there was more than one person, one random Saul being like, kill him, right? How mundane would that be if it was just one dude in the corner saying, kill that guy, kill him, and everybody else isn't cheering, Right? There had to be a crowd cheering. There had to be multiple people that were happy what was happening right then and there. So why did they pick Saul? Why didn't they say the whole crowd was cheering? Why didn't they say Saul and the other Roman government and the other soldiers? Like, why did they say Saul? Because maybe Stephen's last words left an imprint on his heart. Maybe Stephen not cussing them out and cursing them out and not running from this and not asking for God to stop this Maybe Saul's conversion to Paul, who we all know, wrote the majority of the second, you know, the, the New Testament, one of the biggest influencers on the Christian faith. Maybe what happened at Stephen's stoning had a huge part to play in how Saul became Paul. Maybe watching a man fight through the storms, not quitting, not giving up, and even his last words were words that could give somebody hope of forgiveness one day instead of regret and spiraling downhill even more. Because put yourself in Saul's position and you start watching through this and you start to have some regrets in your life. Man, Stephen, maybe I did mess up. And you know the last words he said to me? I hate you. I got to live with that for the rest of my life. I will never have forgiveness from that man. I will never be able to reconcile from that man for what I did to him. I have no hope in my life. I'm just going to go kill myself. I'm going to go, I'm going to go down spot. I'm going to go find some bars. I'm going to go find some women. Because I can't get that thought out of my head that that man hates me. but God painted a different picture. Maybe Saul finally got to a position where he's like, you know, this probably wasn't, and I, I regret. What, what did he say to me, though? He said, forgive him for what he did. If a man can forgive me for what I did, if God can forgive me for what I did, maybe this God thing's the real deal. And then we know the story of Paul and, and how he's blinded and how God reveals some things to him. But don't get it backwards that Saul didn't think back to his former life and all the regrets that he had. And he looked at the examples of Christians that he had killed and murdered, and he imitated a lot of that faith in his own life. Don't think that, that God just gave him this special ability to forget everything that he had done and that he's just some new cool Christian. 
Saul was compelled as Paul to be a different man and the things that he had done that he had regretted and he had watched people do in the storms drove him to be the man that he was that we get to watch and model. And I say that to you, church, today because I think if I'm being honest, I think sometimes as Christians, when storms come, we can run. And when we run, it may be a little safer for us, but we send a message to the souls of the world in the midst of persecution. We send a message that we're not willing to fight for what's right. We send a message that it's a lot easier to not lose my image. We send a message that it's a lot easier to not deal with this hardship in our lives. And what we indicate as Christians is that we're willing to run from the storms and not be empowered to fight through the storms. And I challenge you guys today to ask yourselves that same thing. Are you a responsible disciple that's willing to step into a hole and take the hits from the storm to empower you, but to send a message to the ones around you? That's literally, if you don't know that, understand that, that's literally the whole message of the cross. That's the whole message of what Jesus did on the cross. He literally sat in a storm and took the hits so he could send a message to the hurting ones around him to watch him do something that he didn't even have to do so that other men and women could say, man, he sat in the storm and he dealt with the storm and he forgives me because I put him in the storm. So what can I do because of that? And second, what we're going to do is we're going to take communion because I want us to think about that storm. I want, to think about, I want you to think about how far Jesus was willing to sit and stand in a storm for you. Because if you weren't a disciple, if you haven't committed your life to Christ today, you are that Saul right now, if you don't understand that. You are that guy on the outside, and maybe you're not applauding Jesus for what he did, but you're standing there because of what he did. And for all of us, we, we have all been that Saul at some point in our lives. We've all rejected God. We've all lived in sin. And we've watched Jesus walk through a storm just like Stephen did. And for many of us, that storm has compelled us to live for something completely different. What Jesus did on the cross has compelled us to live a completely different life. And sometimes maybe we lose sight of that in the storms of our lives. And so as we take communion today, I want you guys to remember exactly what Jesus did on the cross for us. But I'm hoping that you today will make a new commitment in your life to look at the storms that you're dealing with and ask yourself, God, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of being the safe Christian. I want strength just like you had the strength to stay on the cross. I want the strength to stay in my storm, to send a message to the world that if you can overcome the cross, I can overcome this hardship. And so I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to think about the storm that you're in. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for sending your, your son to die on a cross, for showing us the ultimate version of a storm, for showing us the ultimate sign of persecution and how to stand in it and how to empower it. And, and God, if Jesus could sit and die on that cross, the kind of strength that he had, and you say you can give us that same kind of strength and power through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we will sit in those storms and we'll remember in the message of the cross through our lives and through our storms. Thank you so much for sending your son. And thank you so much for that motivation 
for me to be a better father, better husband, better man, and that when those storms come in my life, that I stand in front of them, and I don't try to run from them, Lord. And I do that because of what your son did on the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In Acts 8, verses 1 through 4, it says, On that very day, a great storm of persecution burst upon the church in Jerusalem. All church members except the apostles were scattered. Saul harassed the church bitterly. He would go from house to house, drag out both men and women, and have them committed to prison. Those who were dispersed by this action went throughout the country, preaching the good news of of the message as they went. You see, the message of the cross, even though God's people were scattered, what happened at the cross compelled them, no matter their context, no matter their situation, to continue preaching the gospel. I think sometimes as disciples, we let the hardships stunt us or, or, or put us on hold from the people that God has put, us in our, has put in our lives for an opportunity. And I honestly think when I look back at my life, I think sometimes when I've reached people, when I've reached people in my life that I've been able to sit down and study the Bible with and find an opportunity with them, it has been more of when I've been in the storm than when I've been in like a, a, a spiritual high. And I think that's because the world can relate to storms so much more than they can relate to spiritual highs. See, how would a worldly person relate to a spiritual high when we're like, you know what, life is really good for me. God is really blessing me. I think I'm gonna go out and save some people. And maybe they'll relate to me because I'm doing so well. I think there can be an attractiveness to that and maybe it can compel people like, why is your life so different? But I'll tell you what, I think a lot of people can look at your life and if you're willing to be humble and vulnerable and say, you know, I'm in a storm right now and life's been hard, but I'm gonna continue to do what God has called me to do. I think people can see relatability there and say, okay, so your life is really no different than mine, but for some reason you're fighting through it when I wanna give up. How do you have the will to go on? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you why I got the will to go on. And I think if we looked at our lives in a different perspective and said, you know, maybe God put me in the storm to help some people. Maybe God put me in the storm to strengthen my faith. Maybe God put me in the storm to become more relational with the men and women he's put in my life. Maybe, God, maybe there's a reason why I've been put in this storm. If we can tend to find the reason and continue to do what we do, just like Saul was chasing people around, we'll still be able to seek and save the lost. My question to you is, if you were put in their position, would you act the same way? If you were put in Stephen's position and you were being stoned for your faith, would you do the same thing? If Saul was chasing you down with, the Roman, with Roman soldiers and chasing you from town to town, from house to house, would you give up? Would you deny Christ? You see, it's easy for us today in our culture and our generation right now to say, I'll die for Jesus. I'll, I'll die for my faith. But if we were to put ourselves in one of those positions, well, we say the same thing. You see, our heart can't change because of our context, but sometimes maybe you need to change the context to see where your heart's really at. And I'd encourage you guys to think about that today as we walk through that life. In our last verse, verse Revelation 2.10, it says, don't be afraid of what will happen to you. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison. He will do this to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but be faithful. Even if you have to die, even if you continue to be faithful, 
I will give you the reward of life. So now we get a new element, right? That Satan likes to throw storms at us too to get us off track. Maybe God puts us in storms to reveal some things, but Satan can also put us in some storms to have us run away from God. And God pleads for us to stay faithful because there's a reward in heaven for us, that there's relationships in, 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 our, in, our, in our family for us, in our, in our body of Christ for us, that will give us the reward of life. And so my challenge to you guys today as, as we wrap up is how are you doing at the resolve of being a disciple at your core? If you guys would like to, I'd encourage you guys to pull out that communication card today. And that communication card's in your bulletin. It's a card stock piece of paper. And I encourage you guys to fill that out because if I know anything about storms in my time as a disciple, as, as my time as a Christian, it's that I have needed people to know that I was in a storm. Because when you try to walk through a storm in your life yourself, when you try to think you can do it and you can handle it and it can just be you and God through that storm, you will always fall flat on your butt. And that ship will sink in the storm. But when you can get people in your life that are experienced in storms and say, listen, I can help you, keep, I can help you stay afloat. I can, I can be here for you. I can help you walk through this. We can get into God's word together and, and I can show you how God helped me through it and God can help you the same way he helped me. When you can choose to connect to people through those storms, it will help you answer the call. So if you're a disciple today and you're walking through some stuff, I know it's, it's natural pride of, of men. It's, it's the natural human nature of us as human beings that we have pride, and there are probably some of you guys and girls in this room that call yourselves disciples, but you're so prideful that you're trying to do a storm by yourself. And I encourage you to connect to the brothers and sisters in Christ that God has put in your life. But maybe you're visiting with us today and you don't understand the value or the benefit of that. Maybe you've never had people to talk to and share about your life. See, my whole life growing up was a storm that I didn't have a dad in my life. My father wasn't around my whole life. And I carried that and I tried to deal with it by myself. But it wasn't until I got to college and I met a guy that I talked to and I shared this with that I realized, one, I was not alone, that many men struggle with that, but two, that there are some people in this world that have dealt with that and have come up better on the other end because they learned through God's word and through God's people how to become a better person because of it. And maybe you don't see that benefit yet, but this is your opportunity to find that. This is your opportunity today to respond and to connect in a way that God can give you some people and give some instruction to point you towards him to find a way that he can push you through those storms of life. And so I encourage you guys, what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to pray and then we're going to have the worship you come up and sing a song and I'll give you guys some time to fill out that card. But I encourage you guys to, you know, this is going to be a great start to the year. This new theme that we're going to have, I'm so excited about it, just to remember Jesus at the core of everything that we do. Because I really do believe if we can remember Jesus at the core and what he went through in his storm to give us an opportunity, man, we will do incredible things this year, church. We will do incredible things with our church, but more incredible things will happen in your life. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you again today, um, you know, for the storms. You know, I don't, I don't like walking through hardships of life. I don't like dealing with hardships of life. Um, I, in my human nature, I would rather them just go away and just, you know, give me good things and, and bless my life. But God, honestly, a lot of the storms that you've provided me with have, have made me into a better man, have made me into a better husband, have made me into a better father. Um, insecurities I never thought I'd have as a kid. 
And uh, I'm just so grateful that you have sent your son to die on a cross to show me that there is a way through the storms. There's a way to fight through the storms and to stay in the storms and not run and hide. And God, I pray as a church, we can be that as individuals and cohesively, that's the image and that's the, that's the direction that our church goes is that we fight through the storms and we will reach saved and save people because of our willingness to be tough and fight through the storms just like you sent your son to do. And I pray also in your son's name, amen.